listeners, and welcome to our podcast, Venturing Voices. We're here to provide a platform for women in South Carolina who get shit done. I'm Nell Fuller, and each episode, Stephanie Isaacs and I, the co-founders of FemX Columbia, will dive into the stories of inspirational women who make an impact in the Columbia community and beyond. What inspired us to do this podcast is really feature women that are badasses. And I'm very thankful that Rena Dixon said yes to be on our, the first episode. She's a real inspiration for me um, and her life's journey. I think one of the things that has impacted me throughout my career and throughout my business career um, is that, you know, we look at people and we judge a book by their cover and we're asked, are you a brand ambassador? Or what, what do you do as a woman? And what's in it for me? And I think what's in it for me is a really important question. However, we women are strong and are smart and can get shit done. And a lot of us are badasses, and we also have people that work with us to get shit done. And I think it's important that we tell those stories um, to an audience that wants to listen and to women that want to tell their story. So thank you, Raina, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we're going to start off, just introduce yourself. So we're going to dig down into the details as we get through this. But introduce yourself. Who are you, Rena? Um, my name is Rena Dixon. Um, that is my my name, not my married name. Um, <laughs> I'm an Aries. I like long walks in the park. Um, no, seriously. I am a Georgia girl, born and raised in the Augusta, Georgia area. I've been in Columbia about 10 years now. I work in, I wear several different hats in my life. I um, am a college professor. I work in nonprofit. I work in reproductive health. Um, I I'm in a sorority, so I do all different kinds of things. I own a, a travel business, so I wear lots of different hats that um, influence who I am. So my background is in reproductive health. Um, I started off um, in a neighborhood, so my, my, my entire family is from Georgia. I have a big family full of lots of cousins, uncles, aunties. Everyone's based in Georgia, um, and my family were farmers. Um, my dad was a plant worker. He worked in Aiken, South Carolina as a plant. So we didn't have a lot. Um, my parents got divorced when I was 10. So I spent a lot of time growing up in poverty. And um, <clears throat> so did my, my, my mom and my parents. Um, my mom spent most of her youth growing up in D.C. in the projects and moved back down with the rest of her family. So I always had to learn how to survive um, in the situation that we were in. And it was... Very unique. I had, um, I hate trying to, I hate saying like I'm smart, but <laughs> I went to, that sounds, that sounds so like egotistical. You are smart. You are smart. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I um, went to an accelerated learning school always from kindergarten all the way until I graduated through high school because my mom saw how important education was. So I got bust out of my neighborhood to go to this school. And how I, did you get there? Like how did that happen? You take um, placement tests. And so my mom um, did not want me going to where the school where we lived at. And so she signed me up to take a placement test. And I placed high enough to be admitted and stayed through. So I never went to school in my neighborhood, ever. Uh, 
always got bust out. Um, you mentioned about yourself, um, and uh, you know we're audio right now. How would you define yourself? Um, I define myself first, always first, as a black woman. Um, that is a part of my identity. It shapes who I am. Um, it shaped everything of how I've interacted with life and in the world is um, as a black woman. Um, I define myself as a leader because, um, like y'all said, I get shit done because that's what I have to do. I get shit done. Um, I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm an aunt. I'm a godmother. Um, a daughter. I try to be nice. I can be mean sometimes, but... <laughs> Yeah, I have lots of, um, I'm, I'm a nerd. I consider myself a nerd. I like to read. I like to write. I like to watch sci-fi movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what's important that you said there is, um, th- so there's two things. Talking about being best out, being smart, being a black woman, and defining yourself in all those ways. Um, when you were best out, like, what, what was that, how did that feel personally? Um, so for me, this was always one of the things that I knew I never felt comfortable in my neighborhood. Um, that was the life that I didn't want. And it was kind of my mom growing up in DC, my mom always instilled in me how important education was, even though she didn't get the opportunities that I had. Um, she grew up running through the Smithsonian's in DC because they were free and taking up opportunities like that that came along so she put that into me so I always knew education was going to be my way out of the situation that we were in um so school was was a safe haven for me it was a place where I didn't have to be in my neighborhood um it is a place where I didn't have to see drug deals going down or I didn't have to worry about things getting stole um it was um, reading became like that too. So I, I think that's where like my thirst for reading came from because I could block out everything that was going on in my house, in my neighborhood. Um, like I said, we were, um, not great off financially. So we spent a lot of time without lights or without heat or not knowing where our next meal was come from. I got very creative learning how to make all different kind of ramen noodles. <laughs> And it was always about me figuring out what I was going to do to not have to live like that anymore. And I realized education was my way to get that. So I know one of the things you mentioned, you have several different hats, and I want to hear about all of the different career paths, but you've been in reproductive health for a really long time. Tell us about what led you to that journey and kind of where it's taken you along the way. So it's funny, true story. <laughs> when I went to college, so I went to um, – what we refer to in in uh, black culture as a predominantly white institution, and so I was, you know, you know, my school. I went to school in Savannah. We were seventy percent white, seventy percent female, um, and I did. I was in a minority mentoring program for first generation college students, which helped define how I went to college. And we were doing, you know, um, I, I intended I wanted to be an athletic trainer. That's so random. But when I, when I went to school, that's what I thought I was going to do. And I got there and was in um, Ease was the name of the minority mentoring program and network with other people. And I really found out that I had this love for public health. Um, and all of the athletic training majors started out in public health. And I felt so compelled that I wanted to be a voice 
for people who look like me? And how can I be that person? You, we spend a lot of time in black communities um, with white people, white-led organizations that come in and want to be white saviors and talk and, and feel like they've done something by providing programming or resources in black communities. But I wanted to be able, I wanted to be that person who would lift up my own people. And so that's where I started on this public health journey of trying to figure out what I wanted to do and it led me into health education. Um, one of the turning pivots for me was I did my undergraduate internship at the Housing Authority in Savannah. And during that time is when the Bush administration had a lot of the abstinence only funding. And so that was where I started working in reproductive health was on that abstinence only funding stream, which I was like, this is not right. What are we doing? What are we teaching these kids? I got to do something about this. Um, and then my first, I moved back home after I graduated and my first job was at Planned Parenthood was my first job out of undergrad, so as a health educator. So I was in the clinic, I was in the community, I was talking to people about birth control and reproductive rights and getting yelled at by protesters, and I loved it. I really did. So you, you talk about going from um, Georgia, you lived in Georgia, you um, were bused into schools, you went to Savannah, you got into reproductive health because you wanted to... Um, be a part of the change. What was your journey to get there to be where you are right now? So <laughs> this is, um, so I, I worked at Planned Parenthood for two and a half years. I ended up being let go because of grant funding. Um, so I started searching for, I knew health education was where I wanted to be. And I got offered a position at the University of North Carolina Greensboro. Uh, so I went there and it was a research center that was geared toward working with vulnerable populations. And I'm using air quotes right now. Um, because all those are what I've, um, in my journey around reproductive health is I've learned how we politicize black bodies and tie them to funding. And how we have um, really, we use trigger words and people to get what we want in regards to funding. So basically, I was a black woman who could go into black communities and help recruit people for research studies and do health education. That's how I got that position. Um, and at the time, I needed a job. I didn't necessarily like feel convicted about it, but it was a wake-up call for me that I needed to continue my journey in public health, and I needed to have a voice for issues that surrounded black people instead of letting white-led organizations, white-led research teams go in and dictate what was happening in communities where people look like me. So what did it take to be like a leader in this world? Because we've, we've talked a lot about it and um, you talked about being really smart and there's a lot of um, people that are educated, but what did you have to do from an education perspective, from an like when we talk about gender equity, there's also equity within color. Right. So in my time at the university was very eye opening for me because I realized. Um, so then I worked. I received my master's while I worked there, but I wasn't on equal playing field because I didn't have a PhD. And people would not. I worked in in a school of the university, in a school of nursing, where there are only two black faculty members and two black staff, and we were it. 
and I wasn't acknowledged or my ideas or thoughts weren't heard because I didn't have a PhD. So that literally is what prompted me to decide to want to get my PhD. Um, and I look at where I'm at now. I didn't need, you know, like I don't need it to do what I do, do what I do. But if I was going to like make change and be heard in organizations, that was the only way for me to do it. Um, even where I, where I work now, it took me getting my PhD to get on level playing field with people who had less experience, were white or male in that in the in the field to get any respect. Talk a little bit about the impact of the work you've had. So you got your PhD, and after that point, what was what did you feel? change did you feel even a change after you got your phd and what was do you feel like the impact of that was for the organizations you worked with in certain spaces i got more respect because finally it was like oh you didn't think that i knew what i was talking about but now that i have these letters behind my name you can't ignore the fact that i'm talking that i know what i'm talking about um but even now though there are still spaces where i sit in that are um white centered where that respect is not given you know, you refer to, you know, someone else as Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, and I get called Rena because you purposefully did it because you don't acknowledge. Um, it also leads to spaces where people are shocked. And, you know, I get called articulate. You're so articulate, which is, you know, a nod to you think just because I'm black, a woman, and from the country, I can't pull a sentence together. But no, it's because I choose to. Um, when I want to, I'm never gonna forget where I come from, and I'm not gonna turn. I'm gonna I'm gonna tone down my PhD words when I go see my grandma, cause she don't want to hear that. <laughs> but that's part of who I am. Um, but you can see the shift in spaces when um, I have to turn on that part of me. It's really led me to have to be bicultural in spaces. Um, I feel like I'm just now in 2020 coming into a places where I can not feel it have, where I have to be assimilated. Um, but it's, it's sad that those are the spaces that I see. And I see other black women who have the same educational level as I do, who work in reproductive health in different spaces across the country that get treated the same way. I love that you say the word assimilated and, you know, we've had a lot of conversations personally and as our business and, where do we invest our money and where do we choose to go? And I think you um, have really, just knowing you, make a conscious decision about where you're going to go, where you're going to spend your money based on how people treat people and looking at if you have to assimilate or not. Is that a fair statement? Right. Um, you know, Don Lemon said on CNN like a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, he was. He told Chris Como. He was like, I don't know if you know this, but I'm openly black. And I was like, Oh, I love this. I gotta get this put on a shirt because that's how I feel right now. Like I want to be openly black, and I've had to be. Have to. I've had to assimilate assimilate myself in the professional world for so long. It's just gotten old. Um, because I, you know, I hate when people meet someone and they say, Oh, I don't see color. I just see you as a person. And like, that's so offensive to me because if you don't see my color, you don't see who I am because being black drives everything that I do from the time I wake up in the morning. Um, it's how my husband and I have to have conversations at the dinner table about what happened or how we respond to certain situations because we're black and we know we're going to get treated differently. And that's the reality of what it is. Um, I think that 
me being conscious, I think I really try to be um, more conscious about where I spend my money, where I spend my time and my effort. Um, and we do a lot of things that are all black or predominantly black because that's what we choose. You know, we go to a black church. We go to, um, I'm in a black sorority. Um, and those were conscious efforts on my part. Um, being at a predominantly white school for college, I wanted a black sorority experience because everything else around me was white. So that was one of my predictors of choosing what type of organization I, I um, chose. One of my, um, our sorority platforms uh, is black dollars. So we're intentionally looking at where we spend our money and supporting women-led and black-owned businesses. So which today, like my headband is from a black-owned business in Texas um, called Cloth and Core. And my earrings are from my cousin's business called Nubian Radiance. And that's me trying to be really intentional about where I spend my money and how I want to spend it in, in places that uplift black women or uplift women in general. So along your journey, um, you're very goal driven. You're like, this is where I'm going. I'm going to do anything that I can to get there. What's been the most unexpected outcome of all of that? Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fighter. Um, for me, knowing my always number one goal, my husband and I will say this all the time when we work together, like, we never going back to the hood. And that's our goal. I got to eat, and I'm not going back to the hood. So what do we got to do to get there? And it drives me to think about, um, and I know I've been in spaces where I haven't always been able to be who I am and openly black because of that, where it's like, I need a job. But now it's driving me to think about, where can I be in spaces that's going to allow me to be myself, allow me to be open, or what do spaces like that look if I want to build something of my own? Because the goal is always, we got we ain't going back to the hood. <laughs> like that's the, that's the goal. And how can we uplift our own? Because I don't want to be one of those people who are um, crabs in a barrel and don't help bring along other people. I'm going to try to bring you along with me. So what can I do to do that? So you've talked about a little bit of inequities, and one of those is really in education and stepping up from uh, undergraduate to graduate to postgraduate as a PhD. You've talked about working in the world to lift up women um, and black women and talked about women-owned businesses. You also talked about you know, your sorority and participating in that, but you also own your own business. So... Talk a little bit about what was your reason to go in, like moving into owning your own business and going into that world. Um, so entrepreneurship was always something I was kind of interested in, but not really sure how to get into. Uh, and we, my husband and I decided to take an opportunity to, we love vacationing. Like travel is one of our things. We love traveling and experiencing different places. Um, meeting new people, learning, eating different things. So we're, we're travelers. And from people knowing that we were travelers, people kept asking us advice. How do you do this? How do you do that? And I was like, well, this sounds like something we should try to put money behind of how do we become travel planners? And that's what we started doing um, and really focusing on how do we get people to see what we see when we go out into different spaces across the world. And it was, it's kind of scary. Um, it's a lot of work considering I got three jobs. But uh, it is, I really wanted to to focus my um, energies 
on showing other black people there's more outside of what you see every day. Especially me as a kid coming up from the from the I don't know how my mom like got money to take us some of the places that she did. Like it was always amazing that she found money for us to travel. Um and that defined part as part of the thing that defined who I am and I wanted to help other people experience that too. One thing that makes me laugh and we were we were talking about this earlier today. Um like what have the critics said along the way and did you listen and so i think especially as women and as a black woman you're going to run up against people that are like can you do that like is that the best idea have you really thought that through or there's no way so tell me about an about a time where you were like f you yeah <laughs> and did it anyway um, getting my phd was one of the, like th- that entire process was super hard but I fought tooth and nail through it um but I think for me as I'm very strong-willed bull-headed stubborn and like like we gonna do this I'm gonna do it and you're not gonna tell me a no I get labeled as angry or defensive or combative or you know aggressive and it's never can I just be passionate about what I'm doing or what I'm talking about um and getting stuck with those labels of being the angry black woman or intimidating it um can eat at you sometimes and I think that that's a lot of work that black women have had to do is to dismantle that thought process of we have carried so much throughout history as black women um to, to take apart that label and realize that we don't have to own it. Um, and so I'm trying to sit in that space now where I don't have to own those critical things. Um, and I realize, like, yeah, I'm hot-headed. I could probably tone it down a notch sometimes. But <laughs> I, I, I think you hit on something that's really important and that when women are driven and ambitious and have opinions, it's always a negative Whereas there are, it's, it's a flip side. Mm-hmm. If you're not a woman and you are ambitious and driven and opinionated, it's okay. And uh, because then there can be healthy dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. However, if, if when a woman has those characteristics, um, they're seen as like aggressive versus assertive. Um, and so what I've found is it's okay to be a bitch because I'm not really a bitch. I'm a really nice person. (laughs) However, if you perceive me that way, that's on you and not on me. And so I think, you know, when we talk about being a badass, getting shit done, it also means that we have to be okay when we have those personality traits that move us along and keep us pushing that we're going to be called things that are not always kind. Yeah. And I know a lot of times it's, I, I even had to, un, in trying to dismantle how I feel about that, push myself in spaces to where I know there were times where I would be like, no, I'm not going to challenge that. I'm just going to sit back and be quiet because I don't want to be continue the stereotype of me being perceived as angry or, uh, you know, intimidating. And now I'm pushing to be like, no, I'm going to say what I need to say. Um, because you're wrong or <laughs> it's not, this is how it is. Um, but it's having to do a lot of work to break through some of those barriers of I've gotten all my life of ha- being intimidating or aggressive. I used to have a shirt that said danger, educated black woman. And I need to like find out what happened to it. Um, but I need to get another one of those. <laughs> 
So speaking about shirts, your shirt says a lot on it right now. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this is, um, today's the first month of Black, first day of Black History Month. So I'm rocking my Black History Month wardrobe today. Um, and it says Ida, Maya, Fannie Lou, Harriet, and Sojourner for Ida B. Wells, Maya Angelou, Fannie Lou Hammer, Harriet Tubman, and Sojourner Truth. So this was my nod. I was like, I'm coming to film today. I want to wear my, you know, strong black woman shirt that highlights um, just some of the people in black history that have been overlooked. So speaking of women in black history that have been overlooked, they also had huge challenges. If you could like put it to like one sentence, what would your biggest challenge be and what advice would you give to a young black woman trying to get out of poverty today? Um, so this is always a tough one because I think the challenges of systematic racism and systematic inequalities that have been placed on black people in this country are, are they're, they're aware we have so many disparities, but it's, and I can't sit here and in good faith be like, I just pulled myself up by my bootstraps <laughs> and, and made it work. Um, but there's a lot of dismantling of understanding what has been done to black people and black women in this country that have helped me move forward and push forward. So not only do you got to put some grind in, you also have to do your reading and your understanding to know where that comes from. And why we've been put in the situations that we've been put in. And it's not going to be in the history books. Nobody's going to teach you that. You got to go find it. So really, two things. Put the grind in and learn Yeah. the history. And try not to repeat the patterns. Um, and don't take no for an answer. There's going to be so many. I, You know, it took me, when I was doing my dissertation, it took me five years. And I worked through the entire thing. And it took me nine months to get my proposal approved nine months wow <laughs> yes. and, and like for people that don't have a phd talk about what nine months looks like if, to get that approved like because you know that's some people are like one meeting and it gets approved right like, so talk about that and it it was me working 40 hours a week going home working on my dissertation for hours during the weekend at night um to to every time it got denied, having to go back and be like, I'm not going to let this beat me. Like, I'm going to figure it out and keep going until it actually got approved. But, and it was not ugly. There was like tears. Like, my poor husband, he was like, <laughs> we weren't married then, but he was like, what have I got myself into? Like, <laughs> there was lots of emotions and things going around and me locking myself in a room for 12 hours at a time, like trying to rewrite and bang stuff out. But it's... It's that having to find that motivation, that intrinsic value that's going to push, keep pushing you when it's dark and ugly and you don't feel like you're going to get out. So you've talked about your husband a lot and you're a, a daughter, an aunt, a friend. Um, how, who's your person? Like if you had to pick one person that helps you get shit done, like who's that person you lean on? Um, it's it's a couple of people. My, my husband is my ride or die because he's the... the the at home every day. You know, my husband and I have this bond. My husband also grew up in poverty in the projects in another part of Georgia than I did. So we have that shared vision of where we work together as, as a team of how we want to live our life. 
And going back to the hood is not an option for us. So we know, let's get out here and do what we got to do to make that happen. Um, to where we're like in suburbia now and living in like, you don't have a white picket fence, but I feel like we could have one. We travel and, and do things like that. But he's the one who's there holding me up when I, you know, I got three jobs. I need to get this done for job number two and job number three after I got home from job number one. Can you wash the dishes? Can you do the clothes? Can you take the car to do X, Y, Z? I got you. Cool. Let's do it. We work that. My best friend, um, she is that, like, girl, you got this. Like, I'm like, can you can you believe what happened today? Like, she's my like outlet for emotional things um, to remind me that like we can we can do it. Um, Cause she grew up similarly to how I did. Um, and we've been best friends since we were five, you know. And I got my my dad, who's like. I'm proud of you. Like, keep it going. It's like, yes, I'm doing something right. Um, you know, my mom, who's like my biggest cheerleader. So I, I draw, I draw power and inspiration from all of those people. Um, it's not just one. You know what I love the most about that is that when men and women have social, political, and financial capital, shit gets done. And you talked about men and women in your life that believe in working together to get shit done, and that's. That speaks to, you know, us all working together to accomplish gender equality. Yeah. I think um, for me growing up in a, you know, in a black community, we've always had to build and rely on each other. That's a big part of who we are as a people. We wouldn't have survived everything that we've had from when, you know, black people were first brought to the shores in America in 1619 if we haven't relied on each other. Um, And Every one of us, every black person who's sitting here today is a testament of that and a miracle of everything that has gone, that that our people have gone through to get them to where they are. And just like I have a mom, a dad, a sister that's pulling me up, my mom had a person like that, my dad had a person like that to bring us through. Um, But it really speaks to how important community is because if you don't have people pulling for you in your community, you're not going to make it. And like I'm telling you, if you don't got a good community, you need to reevaluate who's around you. You need your <laughs> you need your people to help pull you up because there are gonna be times when you're gonna be down. There's times when we want to tell the people f you. There's times when you're frustrated. Um, it's times when you're gonna experience racism. It's time where you times you're gonna experience you know like um, gender inequality. And you got to know who is gonna help you push through all of that in your circle. You know our podcast is called Venturing Voices. And one thing that helped us get there was understanding what venture means. And it means to offer at the risk of rebuff, rejection, or censure. And so this really resonated with both of us. And what does that mean to you? How do you venture? Um, I venture I venture through several different things. Um, curiosity, because I always want to learn more. I want to know why. I want to know how I can change things. Um, I venture to be better because I want to I always feel like we can grow there's space for everyone to grow and if I ever think that I'm stagnant that's a that's a sign I need to push myself to try something new meet somebody new understand somebody else's perspective um and I think venturing means um expanding like getting bigger um there's so many awesome people in this world that are doing amazing things and we can use our collective voices to amplify what that is and uplift women 
uh, uplift black women in a time and a space where we're not always appreciated for what we do and for what we bring to the table. So that is awesome. And so because expansion and growth, what's next for you? Oh, trying to make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to make it. Um, you know, I'm trying to grow my business, try to grow my business brand um, for every young destinations and helping people understand of what's out there to see. I'm trying to educate other people. That's one of the reasons I teach college classes is I want to be able to help young professionals see how they can make an impact in the field of reproductive health and public health. Um, I want to be able to help people dismantle the systems of oppression that we've been placed into. And I want just to uplift. That's kind of where I'm at in my, my new thing. How can I uplift and bring people along? I think that's um, kind of, you know, when we first started talking about this, it was, you know, what does venturing voices mean and how do we talk to badass women that impact Columbia and beyond? And I think a lot of times we look at someone and judge a book by their cover. And I think today you gave an excellent portrayal of you have people, women, black women have so many things about them you know somebody may say this is Rena and she's Dr. Rena Dixon some people may say she works in reproductive health some people may say she's a sorority person but like you're all of it and I think that's what makes women pretty incredible is that there's a lot behind the woman that someone sees in passing and um, for me, I really appreciate you talking about you, you talking about your story, you talking about moving from poverty to a very successful black woman. And um, thank you for being vulnerable. No problem. I was, you know, I always, um, I'm really big into like ancestral knowledge and, and understanding where we come from. And I look at like my grandmothers and think about what they went through growing up in the 30s and the 40s and you know like my, my my one of my grandmothers would always tell me about how they had to walk to school whereas the white kids in the county got to ride buses and they would get spat on and things of walking to school and you know um them moving to out of you know my my grandmother was in an abusive relationship with my um my mom, my aunt, my uncle's father and what she did to get out of that and move to DC and it's always like you know what I got this I come from this line of like badass black women who've, you know, worked on plantations and picked cotton and tobacco and experienced domestic violence and abuse and they had a smile on their face and they sung and they prayed for me and I got this. I can do it. I love that the whole idea of, of taking up space, you know, has been a theme throughout that. It's don't hide any of it. Don't stuff any of it down. Don't... Um, give up on your dreams like you know all of this you're smart you're all of these things and you know I think we all I know I struggle with it a lot with owning all of those different things that allow me to take up space and to be who I want to be and um, just listening to how that has affected you throughout your journey has been so inspirational Rena. thank you so much no problem I think it's um, every woman should have the space to be authentically them and be, present themselves authentically as who they are and it, you know you can get a lot of caught up caught up in you know 
Instagram filters and people selfie angles and all this kind of stuff and just sit and be comfortable in who you are. I'm comfortable in the fact that I'm a nerd. I'm comfortable in the fact that I'm a black woman. I'm comfortable in the fact that I'm a plus-size woman. You know, it's all about getting comfortable in that space you're in and then you can authentically present yourself. Thanks for tuning in to Venturing Voices. We're excited to release a new podcast every Friday, which can be found on our website at femxcolumbia.com forward slash Venturing Voices. We look forward to you tuning in next week and introducing you to another badass woman. Thanks so much.